And we don't deal with a lot of the stuff going on inside. And, uh, and, and that's, not a, that's not true across the board. But what I'll tell you is that eventually that stuff will come out. And you will have to deal with it. And, on, and I told my wife this recently. I said, you know, 2016 I know was like the hard year for the McCarg's family. Mm. But I actually feel like for me personally, the fallout of 2016 was 2017. And honestly, 2017 was way harder because I started to deal with a lot of this just emotional stuff that I was doing a pretty good job at sweeping under the carpet for a while. And, uh, and so, you know, that's a lot of the fallout with our finances and stuff. Just 2017 was less fun for me personally. And, um, but, you know, as men, I think we do. I think we have to fight to go deep. Um, some men are really good at going deep. It's easy for them. It's not for me. It's not. I just, I function pretty well in that shallow land right there. You know, I'm just going to keep it real right here. I don't, I don't feel like I, I need to feel deeply in order to be happy. But what I realize is that when you go through things in life, and, and we all go through things, and if you haven't gone through something yet, you will. Mm-hmm. Like, like, don't dodge the difficulty. It's mm-hmm. coming. You know what I mean? And, and it happens to everybody. And learning how to be happy. And I know the theme is rejoice, right? But, you know, I remember waking up on several occasions and just being like, people, people, again, people would ask me how you're doing. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I'm doing. I'm just trying to get through another day, you know? And, and I could put a smile on my face, but I wasn't always that happy about it. Mm-hmm. And there are some principles that I think, for me personally, I had to get really honest about who I was before God. And a lot of it, surprisingly, I never looked at it through the lens of just rejoicing until I was preparing this message. And I was like, this is the same stuff I was learning, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and so the first thing I'd say is, is, is I've got eight things. I'm going to talk about them rather quickly. Come on, um, But the first thing is, is that you've got to be purposeful about rejoicing. Come on. You've got to be purposeful. You know, in a world clouded with all kinds of craziness, not even just in your own life, just the world we live in is crazy, and then you deal with your own stuff. If you just let life kind of take you wherever it feels like, you won't be, you won't be happy. You won't find solace with God. The world will drag you through a, it's a vicious God. The, the idols of this world are vicious, and they will take you down. And so if you don't take time to be purposeful and, and really think about the things that we talked about earlier, you won't rejoice. You won't find joy in your walk with God. And uh, there's, a, there's a passage in Psalm. Let me get different people to read these ones. That's okay. Psalm 104, verse 34. Can I get somebody to read that for me? Psalm 104, verse 34. I just opened up Psalm. <clears throat> Go for it. Maybe give them one second here. Still hear a few Bibles flipping. Said yep. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Okay, short scripture. Huh. He says, May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. What does that tell you? You know, this guy sits around and he thinks about the good things he has in his relationship with God. That's what meditation is. You know, we don't like to meditation is for girls. No, it's not. It's for all of us. Amen. And the scriptures are filled with scriptures that talk about 
meditating on your relationship with God. David says, I lie awake at night thinking about God. But just, just taking a moment to sort of stop, be still, and soak in all the good things that God has done in your life. You know, I always find that being purposeful means I got to write some things down. You know, um, you know, you should spend time really thinking about meditating on the things in life that you're grateful for. Just write them down. Make a list. Here are the things that I'm grateful for. Maybe it's your family. You know, you can make a list of a hundred things if you think about it long enough. And what I find is that when you do that, and I've done this, I've, I've literally done this. I've written that just, and it, you know, it's funny. I call it the refrigerator prayer. And it's those prayers when I'm like, God, I'm going to pray about every single thing I should be grateful for. Because when your wife can't wake up and walk herself to the bathroom, you realize I shouldn't take anything for granted. When that becomes the victory, like I remember the first time she got up and walked to the bathroom and came back to bed on her own. And I was like, oh, hallelujah, praise God, you know, but she couldn't do that for a while. How many of you even thought about that this morning when you woke up? You didn't, probably. I didn't. But stuff like this, you know, the, the Bible says that God gives you every breath you breathe. Yeah. Every one of them. You know, we just think, oh, I just wake up and breathe. It's just what I do. No, God gave you that breath. And so thinking about all these things helps me to be grateful. Meditate on what God has done. Be purposeful about these things. What are some things right now, I'm curious, that you could be grateful for in your life? What are some things? Family. Family? Yeah. yeah. God, your relationship with God. Huh? Warm house. Yeah. Running clean water. You know how many people in the world don't have running clean water? Again, it's just one of those things that when you really think about it, we should feel blessed about that. What else? My car. Transportation. Car, transportation. Mm -hmm. Again, we take these things for granted. If you live in America, you've probably had transportation of some sort. You realize that people in the world that we live in, many people don't have any of this stuff. I even think about when I'm praying for my food a lot of times, I say this a lot because it really means a lot to me. God, I don't ha- I'm eating and a lot of people are not right now. Like that should matter to us. And if you take time to be grateful for these things, it changes who you are. You gotta be purposeful. The second thing is that you've got to rejoice in following God's word. Psalm 119, verse 14. Can somebody read that? Psalm 119. Go for it. 119, verse... Just verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Okay. Yeah, mine says, I rejoice in following your statues as one rejoices in great riches. Think about that for a second. You guys ever met anybody who like ran into a lot of money or like got a new job that was just cranking? Maybe won the lottery, I don't know. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever, you ever find somebody who all of a sudden one day they, they, get, they got rich, right? And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, that's very much a part of the desire in our culture is to gather wealth, right? That word mammon that's used in the Bible, right? When, when God says, uh, you cannot serve both God and money. That word money is actually a word called mammon. It's the Greek word mammon, which just is a much more broad and general term for wealth. You know what that tells me? Nothing's changed in the last 2,000 years. What are we still trying to do today? We're trying to accumulate wealth. We want to get wealth. And what this scripture says, he says, man, 
I rejoice in God's statues and his word like somebody rejoices getting great wealth. What does the Bible mean to you? Like, you know, getting into your Bible and just being excited about, about nothing else but his word. Man, it's my happy place. I love, 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 and I, I have to protect it because it's not easy, especially with two small kids. I got to protect that time in the morning when I get my cup of coffee because that's sort of synonymous with my Bible study. And I sit down and I read my Bible. And when I start to feel stagnant, you ever feel stagnant in your Bible study? You sort of, I don't know where, you feel purposeless. You're not sure what you should be reading. You're trying to figure that out. It's important that you do, you fig, you do the hard work of figuring out what you want to do and what you should grow in or things. You know, this year, uh, I decided, okay, I haven't read the entire Bible all the way through in a year, in a little while, and I've been reading the same translation for a while. So I'm going to switch translations, and I'm going to read the entire Bible in a year. I haven't done it. I want to I challenge myself. I want to go after that. I just decided, that's, I'm going to do that. That's why I'm, I'm going to keep my Bible study fresh this year. But really getting excited about the Word of God. Study it like it's, study the Bible like it's that winning lottery ticket, if you will. If you knew, if you knew every time you open up your scriptures, it was gonna, it was gonna give you that type of enjoyment. I think you'd be more excited about reading your Bible, right? Mm -hmm. Rejoice in following God's word. Make it special. The third thing: stop putting your security in the things of this world. Mm. Isn't that hard? Come on, bro. Where do you find? Where do? Where are we taught? What does society teach you that we should we should put security in? Okay, yourselves, your job, health, health, bank account, bank account, intellect, intellect, physical strength. Yep, physical strength. I mean, we could this list, right? We could just like, we could make a long list, right? We could, and all these different things, you know, we could go after all of them, and you could actually become really successful at all these things. It's funny. I I have a family member who's very wealthy. And, he, and he's very vocal about it. He's like, I married a woman who her main goal in life, life was to make a whole bunch of money. And I knew that she was the right fit for me because that's my main goal in life was to make as much money as I could. And they live in a huge house. It's like a resort. We go to their house for Christmas every year. And I'm like, you know, this is awesome because I don't have to pay for vacation. You know, it's like <laughs> they got this sweet pool and all this different, you know, it's just, but you know what? They're miserable. And I love them to death. I mean, I care about them deeply. But they're not happy. Yeah. And they're always talking about what they don't have. Always. Mm -hmm. They're always talking about what they don't have. I'm like, how can you have all this and not talk about what you don't have? And I think the real answer to that is spiritual. Yeah. Because what they don't have is they don't have God. That's right. Listen to what Job 31 says. Can somebody read verse Job 31, verse 24? When you read this, you got to read with passion, okay, guys? 34, 24 through 28, excuse me. Job 31, 24 through 28. Somebody read that? Go for it. Go for it. You can stand. I like that. If I have put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security, if I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained, I had regarded the sun in its radiance or the moon moving in splendor so that my heart was secretly enticed and my hand offered them a kiss of homage 
then these also would be sins to be judged. For I would I would have been unfaithful to God on high. Yeah. So that's intense right there. You know? So so we, what we've been talking about, we said, man, if you put your hope in things other than God, you'll be disappointed. But this scripture takes it a step further. It actually says you're being unfaithful. He says you're actually sinning by putting your hope in things not of God. When you put your security, when you put these different, when you put your faith and trust in something that's not God, we have a word for that. Right? It's a sin. It's called idolatry. It's that thing of which you worship. And Job says it. He's like, look. He's like, if I put my security in pure gold, you know, he, he goes on about this and the one thing I realize is that there is no amount of money, wealth, possessions, career, relationships, etc., that will ever make me happy. Because no matter how much we get, we'll always feel like we want a little bit more. But what's so amazing about God is that God says, I'm going to give you all of myself. If you put your security in me, I'm going to give you my very best. And he proved it because he sent Jesus, which was his very best. You know, what kind of wealth are you trying to accumulate these days? Is it the wealth of the world? Are you putting your security in things like your retirement or whatever? Or is your security really found in God? You know, this is where I was tested most. It was in this. Everything I shared earlier, this was the piece for me that I struggled with. Because, again, there was just this, there was this part of me that just felt like if I'm not providing for my family, I'm not a man. There was. And, and I just felt that. I felt it constantly. I would weep. I remember the, the times of just feeling like I'm doing everything I can do, and it's not working. And I, I think the answer for me just came back down to you got to really trust God. you got to put your security where it belongs. And it's funny, even when I was unfaithful, like the Bible says, God was still faithful to me. And I learned a valuable lesson. Amen? Amen. The fourth thing is you got to watch out for joy killers. Come on, bro. you got to watch out for joy killers. You do. You know, I don't, I, you know it's, it's, it, it, it is. It's the spiritual haters out there. It's... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's, it's the downers in life. And it's so interesting how we are so quick to want to attach ourselves to these things, right? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Somebody can read. Actually, you know, I'll go ahead and read this one. So I didn't attach the verses to my scriptures here. So it says in, uh, starting in verse 12, it says this. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. So Paul's saying... You know, I have something I want to do. And his was spiritual. He had a spiritual goal in mind. He says, and I haven't arrived at it yet. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. So he's saying that there's a spiritual goal in mind that he has not met, but he's pressing on to take hold of that goal because it's for that reason that God took a hold of him. That's deep. And he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So what Paul says is he says, look, there are things that are in my past that need to stay in my past. You know, the things, the, the shameful things. He's like, man, I'm letting all that go. He's like, I, I, can't, I can't worry about that. I need to be focused on what's going ahead. I need to be focused on moving forward, straining toward what's ahead. I think oftentimes that we just, we have a hard time letting go of stuff. Maybe it's past sin. Maybe it's things that you feel ashamed of, you know. And, and what's crazy is that God doesn't, God's forgotten that stuff. I love that, the fact that God says, man, when I remove your sin, it's as far as the east is from the west. Amen. And God goes as far as to say he forgets about it. I've always wondered how that works. I'm like, really? Does he really forget about it? Like, you know, I have a pretty good memory. I can remember a lot of my sin. I'm sure his is better than mine. But, but what I think the point is, he's just trying to say, like, I'm not, I'm not holding this against you anymore. Amen, and oftentimes, I think one of the joy killers is just not letting go to past stuff. You know, it's like, and that's a joy killer. I think one of the things is bitterness. You know, you, you cannot be joyful when you're entangled in bitterness. That's hard. You can't. You have to let go of it. You have to decide whoever it is, you're just going to forgive and let it go. Yeah. And it's so amazing because when we get bitter and we get angry, who here's ever struggled? I have being bitter with somebody or not forgiving somebody. You know what's interesting is that when I've gone often, I've done it several times, gone to that person and said, hey, I, I need to talk to you. I, I'm feeling some stuff. And they, they'll be like, really? I had no idea. And they'll be like, I'm so sorry. You know, I had no idea. I'm so, it was funny is that I've been walking around for like whatever, days, weeks, feeling this bitterness and anger. It's, it's enslaved me. And they haven't been feeling a thing not fair <laughs> and then it's not and then you go and you apologize you tell them what's on your heart and and it doesn't always go this way but usually if it's a christian it goes something like i'm i'm so sorry i did not mean i you know or i just didn't know i'm really yeah. sorry but even if it doesn't go that way yeah. even if they go yeah well you know what you know and you can let go of it yeah. Yeah. you can let go i mean i can't tell you you know um one of the things in studying the Bible cautions always amazes me with young people, especially people who are kind of like religious and righteous people, is the one sin that I feel like always comes up. It's usually not the drugs and alcohol like I was doing. It's them hating like a family member, like a parent, like feeling this bitterness and stuff. And I'm like, man, it's just, it's just a web of entanglement. And, and so what does Jesus say or what is, what, uh, you know, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, cast off all that entangles and the sin that's so prevalent and, ca and, and put your eyes on Jesus, right? Cast off everything that entangles. Let it go. Uh, unmet expectations. That's something else that just, yeah. it's a joy killer. You know, goals are a good thing. I love goals. But you should not be a slave to your goals. I mean, Paul's like, hey, I got a goal, and I haven't reached it yet. And I'm, you know, this is Paul. Like, this is, Paul has spiritual goals he hasn't reached yet. I'm like, really? Awesome. You know, he still had them. They're a good thing. But when, they be, when you become enslaved to them, or, or worse, you just realize 
man, I had an idea, a plan, and things didn't work out that way, don't let, like, let it go. Like, okay, God, like, I put this before you and it didn't work out. I'm going to let it go now. I think one of the big ones for guys that's a joy killer is impurity. Can we kind of keep it real for a second? It's hard to feel joyful when you fell into pornography yesterday or when you fell into masturbation or when you lusted after another woman. Fill in the blank. It's hard to feel joyful if the same sin is constantly crouching at your door. And it's not just true about purity, but I think for men it's more true about purity than, than other sins. And I just want to tell you, you know, if you're, if you struggle with your purity and you are really fighting it, you're going after it and you're a part of a purity group and you fast and you're getting advice and you're studying it out and you still struggle with it from time, you know what? More power to you. I keep doing what you're doing. But if you don't have those types of convictions and you're struggling with your purity, you've got to change that. If you have purity problems, if you struggle with things, and you're not treating it with the seriousness that it needs, that's a problem. And I think one of the things that happens for guys, and, and I've I got a couple of my own guys that I disciple that they just they talk about purity when we get together, like feels like every time. And it's never like, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah I fell again. I'm like, that's a big deal. You know, like you can't just get here, confess it like you fell again, like it's no big deal. It's a big deal. And I think treating those things like it's a big deal will help you change. Amen. I'm not here to make any sweeping judgments. I know some people deal with you know, addictions and things. But what I'm saying is if you treat it seriously, you'll, you'll, you'll overcome. Amen. If you don't, it'll be a joy killer. Mm. And then the other thing I think for myself personally is just the idea of worldly accomplishments. You know? and, and I don't mean those. In a, some worldly accomplishments are really good. But for some of us, it's like if we don't attain them, our life will not be complete. You know what I'm talking about? It's like if I don't get this career path that I'm going after, I won't be the man that I'm supposed to be. You know, if my kids don't turn out the way that I want them to turn out, I'm less like, you got to let that stuff go. That stuff just kills your joy. There are certain things that are in your control, and there are certain things that are not. And all you can do is be a disciple and do your best and pray about these things. There's so many other joy killers. We're not going to keep going into them, but you got to look out for them. They're like little landmines. Yeah. Number five, you got to get kingdom focused. Come on. If you really want to be joyful, the best way to be joyful is to make your number one focus in life the kingdom of God. It's not your kids. It's not your wife. It's God and his kingdom. Now, the cool thing about God is that he says, hey, you need to take care of your kids oh, and your yeah. wife and your family. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not saying, like, you know, ditch them. That's not what I'm oh, saying. Man. But what I'm saying is that you've got to be about the kingdom. If you want your kids to grow up and be about the kingdom, right. you need to be about the kingdom. If you want your wife to be spiritual, you need to be about the kingdom. If you want to marry a spiritual woman one day, yes. you need to be about the kingdom. Amen. You know, I love, you know, there was a time when Israel was not about the kingdom. And Israel had fallen. And, the, and Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem were torn down. And so was the temple. And then at some point, Nehemiah came and he started to rebuild Jerusalem. He started to enact all these rules and he got, 
you know, it was, it was amazing to see what was happening. And they started rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Mm. And when they finished the walls of Jerusalem, when they finished rebuilding them, people got together and threw a party. Listen to this party in Nehemiah 12, verse 40. It says, now I'm going to warn you right now, there's some names in this All right. that I have no idea how to pronounce. I even practice them, and I still don't know how to pronounce them. So I'm going to do my best. I'm with you, bro. I might even make a few up. In verse 40, it says, The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, Nehemiah, together with half the officials, as well as the priest, Elikim, Messiah, Minamine, Mikai, Elinoi, Zechariah, and Hananiah with their trumpets, and also Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jaman. Yeah, there we go. Machia, Elam, and Ezer. The choirs sang under the direction of Jazrahiah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing, because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. I want you to imagine for a second that you're in one of these other towns, you know, outside of Jerusalem. And you, there's, there's this town that's been torn down. It's, I mean, Jerusalem was in such a state that when people would walk by it, they would just weep. They would just weep. It, was, it be, had become known as a disgrace. And Nehemiah and Israel came back and they rebuilt the walls. And it says the rejoicing was so loud the neighboring towns, they could hear it. They go, what's going on in Jerusalem? And there's the Israel, there's God's people. Why were they rejoicing? Well, because they'd gotten focused again on building God's kingdom. They realized that Jerusalem, where God lived, had been disgraced. And so they went back and brick by brick, it's so cool if you read the book of Nehemiah, they're also under siege while they're rebuilding this. And so it says the builders built with one hand while they carried a sword in the other. You know, they had to be on the guard and build. And they, they complete the wall and they throw this party. And the Bible says that God filled them with joy. It says he gave them great joy. You know, it doesn't always seem to matter how life's going for me. Even through the most difficult trials, there's always something joyful about building God's kingdom. Whether it be encouraging brothers and sisters, just sitting across the table from somebody who's really going through something tough and just saying, man, God loves you. And just encouraging them to stay faithful. Or studying the Bible with people and teaching them about Jesus. I love that. I love that. The idea that you get a chance to sit down. Like we're getting live commentary right here. No, you're good. But when you sit down with somebody, and you study the Bible with them, mm, yeah. that's you building the walls of Jerusalem. Amen. That's seeking first the kingdom. That's building God's kingdom. And that's what's cool. I mean, sometimes we go, like, oh yeah, we just gotta go study the Bible with people. No, you get to teach people about Jesus. Your Lord. You get to teach them about the saving blood of Christ. You get to offer them the same thing somebody offers you. And when you do that, man, it changes your perspective. It gets you fired up. You know, one of the things I, I love about, I love studying the Bible as well with married couples. 
And the more messed up they are, the better. <laughs> I love it. Watching a married couple in a, in a marriage that's completely falling apart repent and change. And you see them get baptized, but even more than just get, you, you get to see them get saved, but you also get to see their marriage be saved. I mean, it's like there's this renewed respect for one another, this love to watch a husband, this manly hoss of a man just who's been treating his wife like garbage for years. Look at her and just say, I'm so sorry. And I'm ready to lead you now the way I should. And just to watch those walls, the, 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 the walls of his heart kind of come crumbling down so they can be rebuilt again mm-hmm. in the right Amen. way. It's yeah. amazing. Amen. And it gives you perspective. You know, if maybe if you've been bumping with your own wife, you, you know, you're feeling some stuff like, ah, you know, she doesn't ever think this about me or whatever. And then you sit down with somebody like this and you go, hmm, actually been going pretty well in my marriage. You know, I, if this is the worst of it, I think I'm doing okay. You know, and, but there's just something special about helping people. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not focused on the kingdom, why would you be joyful? Why would you? You know, I think about David. When David fell into sin, what was he doing? He wasn't, he wasn't, at, he wasn't at battle. He was supposed to be at battle. That's where kings went in the springtime. He stayed back. He was lazy. He stayed back while the men were out building the kingdom. He stayed back, falls into sin, murders one of his friends. And there was the fall of David. But when you're involved in the battle, when you're building God's kingdom, man, it just fires you up. Yeah, fires you up. I would encourage you. You know, if you if you're not in a Bible study now, and if you haven't been in one, especially in a while, make that a goal of yours. Now, look, you you might not baptize a person. You might baptize five people. That's between them and the Lord. But you can build the wall. You can go and you can build the wall. You can be a, you can be a builder. Amen? Make it, your, make it your goal to get involved with, with the Bible study. Amen? Amen? Number six, help one another rejoice. Psalm 119 verse 74 says this. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me. Isn't that cool? For I have put my hope in your word. He says, man, I hope that people who fear God when they see me, they just rejoice. You know what I? That's Psalm 119, verse 74. But you know, what is he saying? He's saying, man, when 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 we when we share in fellowship with one another, there's something like contagious about it. And when you're sharing about what you're learning in your relationship with God, and I'm sharing about what's going on in my relationship with God, there's just something that invigorates us spiritually. And it's, it's, that, it's that point when Jonathan finds David to help him find strength in God moment right there. Yeah. You know, maybe you're struggling and somebody says, man, I'm here to, I'm, my job today is to help you find strength in God. And then guess what? Next week he's struggling. And what are you saying? You're like, hey, I'm here today to help you find strength in God. This is, this is what this passage is all about. You know, this week I was so fired. One of our young Christians, he goes to Bentley University. He's a basketball player on the basketball team there. Of course, it would be on the basketball team. Um, and he's a, he's a fairly young disciple. And when he became a Christian, there, he was, uh, or I should say before he became a Christian, he and this other girl from the girls' basketball team were in a relationship, or they're, at least they're heading toward a relationship. They really liked each other a lot. And so when he became a Christian, you know, he had to have some conversations with her. And basically, he just told her, like, look, I, I don't think we should continue pursuing this because, look, 
my faith is what matters most to me, and I don't think that's really what you're interested in. She was like, yeah, you're kind of right, I'm not. You know? And, but she still really liked him, and she spread some rumors about him. And so she's sitting around, or he's sitting around recently with all of his buddies on the basketball team, and they're all giving him a hard time. They're all making fun of him. Now, this is, he's a starter on the basketball team. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's no joke. When it, it's not like this is like, it's not, you know, some guy who, who gets made fun of all the time. This is a guy who's probably never been made fun of in his life. But now they're starting to give him a hard time because of these convictions that he holds as a Christian. Right. And he was telling me about this. We got together on Wednesday night. And he was telling me about this. It was just happening like a week ago. And he's like, you know, at first I was kind of discouraged. But then I realized something. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. And so I told him that. And I was like, what do you mean you told him that? He's like, I told him all. I was like, you guys can make fun of me all you want. But if I die today, I know where I'm going. And the guys were like, and when he told me this, I was like, dude, that's awesome. You know, like, I, it's, it's in those moments you just kind of wish, like, I wish I could have been like a fly in the wall. You know, like, to just see this young Christian going to battle for his convictions, you know. But there's something about that. I mean, I, if, if, if I would have ever heard that story, man, it would have bummed me out. You know, like, that's just, it's amazing. When we share these these stories and when we're taking stands at our jobs or at our universities or or wherever it inspires us yeah. we help bring joy to one another yeah. as we share in this christian life this battle together the seventh thing is that you got to re- learn to rejoice in suffering now this is an interesting one right james 1 says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds for you know that they produce perseverance you're like, oh, great. That's what I want. I want to produce more perseverance, you know? And, Give me some of that perseverance. But there is a, there's a real sense that when you learn this, it matures you. It's funny because sometimes we're like, God, give me a wife. And God's like, you're too immature. You know, you, you couldn't take care of one of my daughters. You know, God, give me this job. It's going to be... You, you can't handle that money. You're too immature. You, you, don't, you don't have what it takes. You'll fall right away. Yeah. God, give me this. God, I just want... You know, we have all these things we want to do, and God's like, you're not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or what happens is that there's going to be a trial down the road, yeah. and you're not ready for it yet. And you won't make it through it unless you go through the, the difficult things, the smaller things now. That's why I said you can't dodge the difficulties, right? First Peter verse four, chapter four, verse thirteen. Can somebody read this one? Chapter four, verse thirteen in First Peter. You want to read it? Go for it. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, oh wait, that's fourteen. Sorry. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. All right. Read that again. Okay. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Stop. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Paul, what are you talking about? He says, man, rejoice in those... So that you may be overjoyed 
when his glory is revealed. So what's he saying? He's like, rejoice because this is going to help you make it to the end. He's like, one day, all of his glory is going to be revealed, and you want to be there for that. Right? I, I want to be there for that. Yes. Amen. Do you want to be there for that? Yes. Like, I, I don't want to go through everything I've already gone through to not make it. Am I the only one? I don't. Like, I want to make it to the end. Amen. And so Paul is saying, he's like, rejoice in sufferings. Because it's what matures you. That's what James 1 is talking about. First Peter 1 says the exact same thing. He says, man, your faith has got to be refined through fire. Right? You know what passage I'm talking about? First Peter, verse, or First Peter 1, verse 3 to 8, I think it is, says that your faith gets refined the same way that gold gets refined in fire. Yeah. You know how they refine gold in fire? They heat it up as hot as they can get it until all the impurity raises to the top and they scrape it off. And then you know what happens? They cool it down and do it again. And over and over and over again. And all the impurities are gone eventually until the goldsmith can look down and see his reflection in the gold. That's how they know it's pure. And so when God looks at us, guess what he's saying? He's saying, I'm going to refine your faith the same way. We're going to heat it up. We're going to scoop off all the impurities. And when I look down, I'm going to see the reflection of Christ. I'm going to see the reflection of my face. This is what God's going for. And so when you go through something, you've got to learn how to kind of rejoice in that. And it's a perspective. It's going through a hard time and going, you know what? God is going to do something great if I just stick it out and learn from this. I'll never, I said I wasn't going to get emotional. You know, the morning we went to the hospital, the morning we went to the hospital, Maria had three things she really wanted. One of them, well, one of them wasn't really one of the things she wanted. It just happened to happen. We got a chance that somebody lent us their car to drive into town, which was the same car we used to have, which she loved. I know this sounds really insignificant, but to Marie at the time, for whatever reason, it seemed to matter. She loved this car, and she was like, I hope that they'll let us use it. I called him up, and he said, yeah, yeah, definitely you could use it. I was like, great. She really wanted a pumpkin spice latte, <laughs> and she really wanted to see fall leaves in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Now, this sounds really menial to me. I'm hearing these things. I'm like, I care less about these things, you know? But we're driving to the hospital. It's about 6 in the morning. The sun's raising. And I'm a nervous wreck. And I look over at her. She's got her pumpkin spice latte. And she's just smiling. And I was like, and I asked her, I was like, why are you, why are you smiling right now? I said, are, you know, she, I think she actually asked me, like, are you nervous? I was like, of course I'm nervous. Aren't you? And she was like, no. And she said, I'll never forget. She said, I can't wait to see how God uses what I'm about to go through to help others. Already, that's why I said she's a superwoman. I don't know where she gets this from, but this was her mindset. She knew she was about to suffer, but she also knew that there was going to be something come out of it. If we can learn to look at struggles that way, it, it helps you go, man, this is a good thing. This is going to be awesome. Amen. This is how we mature as Christians. The last thing is prayer. Amen. I don't have a fancy title. You read the Psalms, guys. You can pick almost any Psalm in the Bible. 
you see how prayer changes your attitude. If you're feeling like, I just don't feel like rejoicing today, the best practical I can tell you is you need to get some time alone with the Lord. You got to go and you just got to pray and fast. You know, one of the things I did, and I'm not bragging or boasting, but because I was in such a bad place, I felt, I just started fasting twice a week. It's like, I'm going to just fast twice a week. For, and people were like, ooh, what are you fasting for? I was like, myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just trying to get the right attitude again. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to be a, a godly man again. Yeah. I just started fasting because I knew if I fasted, I would pray more. And that's where, that's where I found joy. I found peace in praying to God. And I would, it would just change my perspective. And I can remember coming home from these prayer walks and just telling Maria, you know, everything's going to be okay. I don't know how or why, but I know God is going to take care of us. And that's what prayer offers us. You know, somebody told me that if you want to be joyful all the time, you got to put Jesus first in your life. you got to put others second. you got to put yourself last. Yeah. You guys ever hear that before? No. That's the, that's the old Church of Christ. There's a song about that. Yeah. Jesus first. That's your why. Others second and yourself last. And if you can really focus that way and focus your life that way, you'll be full of joy. And you won't, you, your coworkers will look at you and go, what in the world are you so happy about? And you can tell them it's God. Amen. You can share these experiences with them. Amen? Amen. Great. Amen. Thanks, bro. Awesome.